Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast today. My guest is Renee Bauer. She is a divorce attorney based in Connecticut. How are you doing today, Renee? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Brad. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here and share a bit about your story and journey with us today. I appreciate you taking the time and appreciate you being here. Oh, I, I would absolutely. I'm just honored to be part of this platform and this mission that you have. Oh, honestly, the honor is completely mine. So thank you for being part of it and agreeing to do the podcast. So let's jump in. Renee, you are an author, a peacemaker, a divorce attorney, a podcast host, a life divorce coach, and a blended family aficionado. That's quite the resume. I mean, just being an attorney, I imagine, would take up most of your time. So how on earth do you find the time to wear all the hats you wear? (laughs) <laughs> you know, so I, I um, that's that's a great question. I, I I would say that COVID has created a lot of space for me. Right. Um, and pre-COVID, my life was filled with the lawyering stuff. And I always had this vision that I wanted to do things on a grander scale. I wanted to provide divorce education to not just people, and especially women in my state, but really across the board, because it's not just about divorce. It's not about the law. It's really about mindset and it's mindset coaching and training and really thinking about divorce in a really different way. And having been divorced twice myself, which I know you're going to ask me about that, but from that place, like I have this mission to really share my story and tell other people who are going through it that this is not the end of your life. It is not the worst thing that's going to happen to you in your life. It's just a moment in a blip. And mm-hmm. so with COVID, I had this time and space because life was was flipped upside down and courts were closed to really dive into this mission in a bigger way. And that's when I created the D course, which is a divorce education video course all okay. about uh, helping people get through the process of divorce, but really doing a lot of mindset work so that they can start to come to the table with reasonable expectations, um, as well as I had the time to really start working on um, the divorce coaching aspect of my business as well. So I, I wear all of the hats at different times. <laughs> Some of them take up more of my time than others. And, you know, right now I'm in the season of this other work and really building this other business. You are one hell of a busy lady. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been a divorce attorney? 
Oh God! Now you're going to like tell me, ask me how old I am. So no, I, am... <laughs> I would not do that. That's not polite. <laughs> it, no, it's it's going to come across though. So almost two decades. So okay. I'm going into my 19th year of being. Wow. What inspired you to become a divorce attorney? Why did you decide to be a divorce lawyer? I actually had no intentions of being a divorce lawyer. I went to law school to work in politics, and okay. prior. Prior to law school, I worked and did some governmental communications and some lobbying work. And my dream was always to move to D.C. And then I thought, okay, if I'm going to do this this political career thing, I need to I need a law degree because that will just help. And when I went to law school, I decided I slowly shifted and decided, well, wait a second. Like I really enjoyed my externships and working with people um, and never really looked back. And when I left law school, I ended up in a small firm that did a little bit of everything. Okay. And I was the person who did all of their family law because most people don't like family law. Right. They, they, you know, these are the cases they don't want to deal with. And the firm that I was in was this was this awesome father son team, and but they loved criminal law, okay. and so they didn't want to deal with the family stuff, and they gave it all to me. And that's when I found like I really had an opportunity to help people going through what might be one of the worst times in their lives. So it was not just applying the law, it was also applying some level of like cheering them on and lifting them up and, and empowering them. And that mix of doing the both the legal with almost like the social work is where I found it filled me up and, and lit me on fire. And I loved the work and I haven't looked back since. So your political aspirations just kind of dissipated and vanished? Well, they did. However, it's funny that you ask that. Um, so once I once I started practicing law, I never looked back at the political piece of it. However, right. I have recently um, <laughs> said, said to my husband, I'm like, you know, there's a congressional seat in my state that has been occupied for a really, really long time. And at mm. some point, um, I imagine this person is not going to do this anymore. Right. Like, you know, like maybe when she decides that she's not running anymore, maybe I, I look at that again. I always thought I wanted to work on the other side of the politics, like the lobbying and the kind right. of the political operative. But I don't know. As I get older and as my dreams change and my goals kind of morph, it's not completely off the table. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll have to revisit that in a few years. Yeah. You had also just stated the fact that most people don't want to practice family law. Why is that, do you think? It's so emotional. So, you know, when you go to law school, you are trained for three years to become super analytical. And it is all about dissecting cases and the law. And what doesn't fit into that are people. And family law requires us to really have a lot of uh, handholding much in a much, much different way than a tax attorney does or a corporate lawyer does. You know, we are more than lawyers. We are social workers and we are therapists and we are, you know, all of those other things. And a lot of lawyers just want to do the law. They want to go to court. They want to go to trial, but family law requires you to also handle all of these emotions. And some lawyers are really good at it and others are not. And 
and don't want to do it. And you can tell that they're taking the case because they're a general practitioner and someone referred them and, and, but they're not happy doing it. And, um, you know, these are the cases that get pushed to the back burner and, um, that they're, they stall because it's not anything that they want to do and they'll complain about it, but yet they still (laughs) take the cases. Um, so you do have, you know, I think you have now the, these two schools of thoughts of lawyers who that's all they do is family law because they are intentional about wanting to be in this space. And then others who are like the old school, they just take the cases because they come to them and they hate every second of it. And they let everyone know that they do. So this brings up an interesting point, I think about from time to time then. So as you mentioned, it's a lot about relationships and being able to communicate and deal with people. Do you think that there are just certain people who are just not naturally cut out to deal with people in that regard, have, have empathy and sympathy. Like I don't, I, I personally don't think that's something you can teach someone. I think you either have it within you or you don't. A hundred percent. Absolutely. I agree. I think that there are people who can't quite get the concept that in order to really represent a client in this space, Mm -hmm. um, they have to be patient and then they have to listen. And a lot of lawyers like to listen to themselves talk (laughs) and they don't like to listen. So, you know, like you really have to fine tune your skill of listening, listening and hearing and then validating. And you are absolutely right. There are people who just don't do it well. And you know, you know, we, we know when those, those cases come in that there's a lawyer on the other side who's just extremely difficult or really hard to work with. And usually those are the, the, qualities that they have and there really isn't they don't have the ability to help their clients through the process right rather than they're just um they're almost adding fuel because they don't have the patience and you know it's amazing what two attorneys can do who are on opposite sides but have that same philosophy of really helping people through something it can be really beautiful of helping people put aside their differences and come together and walk away with the ability to co-parent together rather than hating each other even more because the lawyers made it worse. Yeah. I mean, I think that people that have that innate ability or skill within them, you you can work on that and hone it and make it better and 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 focus on that and bring that more to the forefront, but like I said, I just think there are some people that just don't mm-hmm. have it and just shouldn't be dealing with people in general. A hundred percent. There's plenty of lawyers who should not be, who should be tax attorneys and not ever seeing a client. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you had also mentioned about listening. You've, you've got to, you've got to tune your listening skills. And it reminds me of something a friend told me. He says, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, so often that's all people want. Yeah. And it's not necessarily about the end result or the win. They just want to be heard. And often when someone drives their case to trial, that's why they're doing it. They want someone to hear their story. And if that's the only thing that they're looking for, there are so many better ways to get to that end result rather than spending a lot of money and really getting to the (laughs) point where you guys hate each other because you wanted to tell your story. There's ways 
ways to do it. And so often it's sometimes just having someone sit across from you and tell their story without being interrupted. And sometimes mediation works where each of the people are saying their story to each other and getting their emotions out. And once they get past that, now they're ready to get down to the, to the work. Now they're ready to roll up the sleeves and say, okay, let's, let's put this behind us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know much about the law and being a lawyer, but I would think that more often than not, most lawyers at a law school cut their teeth working at other law firms first before going out on their own. Is that the traditional route? And is that the route you took? I think that that is common because when you get out of law school, you don't know anything. Like right. you really are not equipped to do anything except maybe write like a legal paper. <laughs> but I am seeing more lawyers hang up their own shingle out of right out of law school just because of a lack of jobs, quite frankly. Really? Yeah. And they or they'll do like some they'll do some work for a part time work for other law firms and then decide to to hang out their shingle or they go and work in a court as a clerk but that wasn't my journey so I worked for insurance defense for about eight months right out of law school that was awful and then I went to this small law firm that was a father-son team and they were like family to me and that's where I really learned how to be a lawyer how to treat people with respect my boss who he has passed away since then but he was a criminal defense attorney and represented some of the worst of the worst people and yet he treated every single one of his clients with such respect and he treated all of the police officers, the prosecutors. There was such a level of respect no matter who he was talking to. And he was such a great mentor to have. And, you know, he just kind of threw me to the wolves in yeah. terms of here are your cases. You have to learn by doing this. Um, so I was fortunate enough for my first five years to have the, the mentorship of someone who was not only a great attorney, but just a really great human. Yeah. See, you know, that always fascinates me criminal law and and criminal defense lawyers is like, I think, how on earth do you, the word I'm looking for, separate, for lack of a better term, separate yourself from that where you can defend someone who's committed such heinous crimes? Like, how do you go to work every day and, and do that when you know the person is guilty? Yeah, he, you know, he had some moral grounds that he would not take certain types of cases, okay. crimes against children or crimes yeah. against animals. Okay. So a lot of his cases were things that weren't it didn't it, it didn't really challenge his moral integrity. Right. Because he, you know, their drug cases, um he did a lot of federal stuff. But there weren't anything where he was representing someone that who was so heinous because they did something so awful to a child or even an animal. I remember a case that came in and someone was just so cruel to a litter of puppies and he wouldn't touch it. He's like, I'm not I'm not doing it. So, you know, and it's just as a lawyer, as a criminal defense lawyer, you say everyone's entitled to a defense and representation and to get them the best possible outcome, even if the outcome isn't that great. But you can you can help them through that. And, you know, it's funny because the criminal clients are people who have maybe done some not so great things, but who show up at their best for their lawyers. So they were the easiest clients to really work with because they respected the lawyers. They were grateful for the help compared to divorce clients who are, (laughs) you know, showing up at their worst moments in their life. So the criminal was almost a little bit easier than the divorce work. Wow. So you, you had also mentioned that um, there's not a lot of jobs for lawyers. Has that been something that's been prevalent for, for a fair bit of time? Cause I can remember that, 
a friend of mine, she's a partner at a law firm here in Toronto. And she was telling me, it's got to be at least four or five years ago now, um, that she was asked to go into um, schools and talk to these up and coming lawyers. And she said to me, she says, Brad, honestly, part of me wants to tell them don't bother because there's no jobs. Like you're wasting your time and your money because there are no jobs as lawyers. Hmm. They're far and few between. Yeah. I think it's a different culture than it was 20 years ago when you get out of law school and you see all of these listings for jobs and all of these big corporate firms wanted all of the new blood and, and there were a lot of opportunities. And I also think that Back, you know, back when I went to law school, the ideal pot of gold at the end of the rainbow at the end of your legal career was to get a job at a big firm and make a lot of money, but work also 80 hours a week. And I knew some people who did that. And I think that a lot of people don't want that grind anymore. And they want to find some balance where it's not an entire consumes every minute of your life. And there those jobs certainly do that. And People are looking for something that has uh, more of a balance, which lends themselves to smaller firms or their own office, which also is a pay cut for people. And, you know, that's a consideration as well, because it definitely, like your friend said, it's like you weigh, okay, what are the school loans? What am I going to come out and actually earn? And, you know, you might be better off being like a pharmaceutical sales rep than a lawyer. Right. That's crazy. (laughs) And it's funny because so many parents push their kids. Well, I don't know about nowadays, but back when we were growing up, um, push their kids towards that, that route. Oh, you know, you got to be a lawyer or a doctor to, to be successful in life. And like, no, that's, that's not what it's about. I know. I know. It's so I, that was like the, the golden diploma, either yeah. medical or legal. And I think medical's still up there, but not not so much legal anymore. It's definitely yeah. a different world. When did you start or found Bauer Law, Law Group and what was the inspiration behind starting your own firm? Yeah, so well, I had been working for that firm that I talked about and yeah. my son was about one at the time and he was the last one Uh, picked up from daycare. The first one dropped off. I had a commute to get to work. And I just decided if I was hustling so hard that I should be doing this on my own. And I knew that I only wanted to do family law at that point. I had been with them long enough to say, you know what, I really think that if I focus all of my time into just this one area of law, I can build a practice that is mine. And it was the hardest decision to leave them because I really was happy there and they were family to me. But I always had this entrepreneurial spirit in me ever since I was a little kid. I mean, I've started so many businesses as a little kid from my driveway. (laughs) And so I knew it was in the cards and I was just, and you know, quite frankly, to this day, it is the thing that really fills me up even more than being a lawyer. Like I love running a business. I love the marketing. I love growing it. It's just fun. It's really fun to experiment and be creative with it and say, okay, how else can we challenge the, what the industry standard is? Like I love to sort of disrupt the, what a law firm is supposed to be and look like and do and how we show up. And as we speak right now, I'm in the process of rebranding our entire firm. And in about a month, we're rolling out a new name, a new mission, um, and kind of shaking things up a little bit in the legal industry, because it doesn't have to look 
one way. And I think for so long, like everyone thought that law firms were supposed to have a certain name and, and have a, a certain type of service. And so that stuff is really fun for me. And I've never looked back. I've just kind of watched the firm grow. And I'm just so proud of the team that I have here with me that are now like family to me. Like this isn't a job. We come to work and we actually really like each other, which is <laughs> That's a good thing. I think that's great though, because when I think of law firms, these big fancy law, I just think very stuffy and Mm -hmm. prim and proper and stuff. So that's great that you're out on your, and you can, this gives you the permission and gives you the, the potential to do what you want and brand things the way you want and have the type of atmosphere that you want because it's yours. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I rented, when I first started, I rented space from a lawyer who was so awful to his staff. And at the end of the day, the staff makes or breaks your business. And he was so horrific to them and how he treated them. And I thought I would never, ever talk to people who were there for me that way or discourage them like that. And that's sort of been the philosophy that I've grown my team on and we can't get rid of anyone. I have a paralegal who's actually graduating from law school next week and she's just changing offices, but she's staying put and staying right here just because it's, we have such a great work culture. Yeah. You know, that's one thing I have never been able to wrap my head around having come from corporate. The fact that these big companies, these big corporate cannot wrap their head around the fact that if you treat your employees with respect, you treat them well, they will want to work that much harder for you. Yeah, I know. And there's a lot of companies that preach this bullshit people first culture, but it's complete bullshit. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I'm reading the book from good to great right now. Have you read that one? No. It's like a, it's a classic. I'm surprised it took me this long. And that's the whole premise is that the leaders who are the most influential leaders are the ones who really, they don't need to be the ego and on the forefront. And their whole approach is lifting their their people up and letting them be decision makers and inspiring them a kind of from behind the scene. And it's just fascinating because I've seen it in play. Like I've seen my own team around me excited about their work and coming up with different ideas on how to kind of keep shaking things up. And I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's, I think that that's what sets our business apart from any other law firm out there, quite frankly. And I think that when clients call or they come in, they feel that and they sort of get enwrapped in that whole culture that we have and they become part of it for that time that they're with us. Well, you think it's just common sense that when you treat your employees well, they become more productive, which in turn is better for the business. You're all going, everyone is going to do better, especially the business owner. Yeah. It, yeah. it just, it boggles my mind. I, <laughs> I can't wrap my head around it. I know. You think that it would be common sense. But yeah. It's not, well, it's not. common sense isn't so common, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> How long were you working as a practicing attorney before you decided to start your own firm? Five years. Oh, okay. I was out. Yep. Wow. So that's pretty early on into your journey as a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, I think I was naive. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously not, because look at look at how far you've come. Look at how well you're doing. Yeah, you know, I think that it's all been such a learning process. I think every that you know the the and this can go for anything in our lives. Those that scariest thing 
that it is also the mo where the most growth comes from. Like sure. people don't do things because they're afraid and oh, they're, yeah. you know, they're it's uncertain and it's overwhelming and yeah. you know, they don't know what the outcome is, but you know, doing those things and just removing any chance of failure from it. Like, yeah, we're going to fail plenty of times. We're going to keep going. Of but, course. And just the, the moving the, you know, not having that backup plan is really propels you forward and, and it allows you to succeed. So I, you know, I, I laugh because yes, I was a little bit naive in what all of this took, but had I really sat there and thought too much about it and let fear seep into my decision-making, I would never have done it. And exactly. So it's like you do exactly. it, you do it afraid, you do it, you do it wrong and you keep doing it until yeah. you get it right. You know, exactly. it's just part of the I journey. love that attitude. I love it. And that mindset. That's <laughs> awesome. What is it that lights you up or inspires you the most about being a divorce attorney? You know, I absolutely love watching the transformation someone goes through from feeling like this is the worst thing in the world that's ever happened to them and how are they going to get past it to coming out the other end and really recognizing that this ended up being the best thing that happened to them. And I have a client that I use as an example who was married over 20 years. She did not want the divorce. She would have stayed married forever. And it wasn't a particularly happy marriage, but she right. was fine enough. She was comfortable. She, they went on vacation. She would have stayed put. And her husband asked for a divorce and she fought it every step of the way. And about a year after her divorce, she reached out to me and said, I didn't realize how unhappy I was until I was forced into a situation because now I am happier than I've ever been before. And wow. I'm on my own. I'm independent. All of the finances, like for the first time ever, I'm in control of. And that was the thing that scared her. And she was like, I'm even dating now. And like, that's what fills me up. Like that's the stories like that yeah. are what inspire me because there is so much good that comes out the other side. If people allow themselves to actually believe that and, you know, don't get caught up in the past and the woulda, coulda, shoulda yeah. and really say, okay, this is an opportunity to be whatever I want, to show up however I want, to reinvent myself. And like, what are you going to do with it? And some people are like her and they embrace it. And unfortunately some people don't. So I love the success stories and hearing from clients that have really learned how to thrive post-divorce. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's also a lot of negativity and stigma and negative connotation around divorce, right? Yeah, I mean, just... and that's absolutely. And that's the whole point of the work that I do now because I'm twice divorced and I had all of that. Like I, I sat in the shame and the embarrassment and sat in the loneliness of it all for so many years, especially my second divorce. It was like, you know, I've had, I was hanging my head low, like, I can't get this right. Like I'm a divorce lawyer and this is embarrassing. And I always thought that that part of my life should have been buttoned up and private and separate. And then one day I went on a friend's podcast and it was the first time I had ever been on a podcast. And she's like, we're going to have a couple martinis. We'll eat some sushi and then I'll ask you questions. And so I'm like, sure, why not? And she sticks the mic on me and starts asking me about my divorce. And for the first time ever, <laughs> I actually answered the questions and I actually wow. even had to call my mother up and be like, mom, I'm sorry. I said some things. <laughs> it was the martinis. <laughs> but, but what happened? 
happened after that is I got inundated with messages from other women who, who said, that's my story too. Like I sat in the shame. I was embarrassed. I sat on the bathroom floor and cried. And then I realized that we need to start talking about this and removing that shame. And when we have these conversations, people know that they're not alone because there isn't any shame in getting divorced. Right. It's just, it's like a relationship has completed. It's, yeah. it's full circle and now it's time to move on. Like there's no, there's absolutely no shame in that. And I think there's shame and it's sad when I see people stay together who shouldn't be yeah. because, because of that, they're worried about what people think and they're not really happy. And they're both just kind of going along in a sleepwalk and they're missing out on so much just because they don't want the shame of, a divorce. You've said that throughout your career as a lawyer, you've also felt like you're a part coach and now you actually do provide coaching services. Was that just a natural transition or progression for you? And how long have you been coaching now? So it was a natural progression. I think I've been coaching for as long as I've been doing this work. I think so much of my work, and I didn't even realize it, was talking people up and talking to them about the possibilities of what life could be out the other side. Because if people can wrap their head around that, the legal part is so much easier. Like there's only a range of outcomes for in any divorce. And what keeps people stuck are the emotions and their own fear of what life out the other side is. So when I, I used to spend, and I still do spend so much time with clients talking about that. And then I recognized that there is this need to really have a program just for this and really helping people focus on themselves, learning how to really believe in themselves, um, learning. I, I'm a huge student of the law of attraction, learning how that can really manifest like the best life ever. And so from that, I created the Divorce Soul School, which is a group coaching program that is entirely focused on the person. And so it has nothing to do with their divorce or their ex or their kids or anything like that and it's about really building themselves up so that they can step into this next chapter um, and that was definitely the, a natural progression and part of my vision for a while now but like I said COVID finally uh, unfortunately but fortunately if we're going to talk about a silver yeah lining, silver linings right <laughs> yeah it gave me the space to really put the time to create this yeah th this whole situation that we've been in for over a year now has just it Yes, it's been terrible. There's been a lot of loss and sadness, but it has created so many good things as well. There have been so many amazing things that have come out of this situation. And that's what we need to remember. And that's what we need to focus on throughout this whole thing, because there is a lot of good there. You just have to look for it. Yeah, it's much like a divorce, right? Yeah. You know, we, you get thrust into something that you don't want to be in. Yeah. You're forced, you're forced to get through it. So what do you do with it? And that yeah. has everything to do with your mindset. That's exactly, yes. Mindset is absolutely everything. It is so key. And once you, you know, once you figure that out and learn that, your whole world will open up and change. Yeah. I, you know, I tell my kids that there isn't any reason why you should ever have a bad day. 
if you come home and you're like, I had an awful day, well, that's your fault. Like you decided to have that bad day. And we have the power to create whatever experience we want from that day because it's what we, you know, the little annoyances and the things that happen, are we going to let that fester and are we going to let that dictate the rest of our day? Or are we going to put it in its container, lock the box and say, okay, that was just a moment. Now I'm going to move on. And that's mindset work. And it takes practice and it takes consistency. Oh, yeah. Um, to, you know, and uh, trust me, there's definitely times where I fall right into that trap. And, you know, there's times where I don't want to have a good day. I'm like, I'm just in a bad <laughs> mood and I want to well, live in this space. We're, we're humans, <laughs> of course. Yeah. So and that's OK, too. But it's recognizing that you have that ability to yeah. really shape your your day, your life, your future. Yeah. It's good stuff. For sure. I read that you made it your mission to teach as many people as you can how to shift their mindset, speaking of mindset, set goals, and manage expectations so they can step into a life of joy, peace, and purpose, even when life throws a plot twist their way. Why have you made this your mission, and what does it mean to you personally? Did the drive, need, or want to do this come from your own personal struggles and story? It did because I have the two divorces that I used to really keep hidden and it wouldn't be something that I would share, nor would I ever go on a podcast for other people to hear it. And now it it has become so much part of who I am is talking about that journey because that, that journey has allowed me to really live the life I'm living now, which I freaking love. And, you know, having the two divorces has taught me so much and it has created the space and allowed me to bring in the partner that is really my match in every way. And so, you know, I say to people that you can have that relationship that fills you up. And that is, I hate the word complete. I, I mm-hmm. think that that's an, I don't like talking about someone completing you. Well, yeah, people can't complete you. <laughs> yeah. So we show up whole yes. and someone else shows up whole and you can have a beautiful life together. Right. And I'm living that. And had I not made those really, really hard choices then I wouldn't be where I am now in, you know, in my relationship, in my marriage, in my business, in all of those things. And I've learned that sometimes those hardest choices, the things that are, you know, keep you up at night, the things that are terrifying are the things that have to happen to make the space to really be and be able to live a life that is beautiful. And, we only have one messy life and it's yeah. supposed to be messy. Like it's not supposed to be flatlined and we're supposed to be pushing ourselves to do uncomfortable things and challenging ourselves because that's where the joy comes from. That's where right. the growth is. And so my mission is to really help people understand that because so much, I have a private Facebook group and we have a large community of women in there and so many of them are stuck. And they're stuck because they're afraid and they're stuck because they don't think they're worthy of a loving, healthy relationship or worthy of being happy. And that's heartbreaking to me because it can, it, it, everyone is worthy of that. You, me, like there isn't anyone who should feel stuck in their life. And that's in, if I can help even one person make that leap and step into the life out the other out the other side the one that i've been lucky enough to experience um then i've done something or contributed something so that's the reason why i do this work can you talk a little bit more about your own personal journey and struggles oh yeah sure so my (laughs) my, my first marriage um 
was to a really good man. And we had a really nice life. And on paper, it was everything that anyone would ever want. And we had the great big Boston wedding. And, you know, it was a so-called fairy tale. And yet there was something missing. And for years, I struggled with the concept of is just fine or just okay good enough and feeling there was a lack of something and trusting my gut like down to my core that I knew that there was supposed to be more and you know it was really like I wrangled with those emotions for years before I decided to walk away Um, and so there was so much struggle making that decision because I couldn't figure out like what was wrong with me and I think I've even had people or family members say like what's wrong with you that you can't just be happy And, you know, it took me a long time to really understand what was going on. And that that struggle allows me to sit here today and tell people and tell other women it's okay, and and men too, it's okay that good enough isn't good enough anymore. It's okay to want more from something that doesn't feel right anymore. And I tell clients all the time, go to marriage counseling, do the work, like try to see if you can salvage this or, or um, repair it or lift it up again. Like you do that first. You don't just walk away. Right. But if you do all of that work and you can't, it's okay to say, you know what, we've grown apart um, and that we aren't a good fit anymore. It's, it's okay to do that. And so that, you know, having that, message comes from my own personal struggle and then my second marriage I was you know it was barely on the radar in my life I was in and out of it really quick the whole relationship start to finish was really fast it was a really toxic one it was really unhealthy and so that perspective gave gives me the opportunity to, to look at someone who says but you don't understand my spouse is so difficult they're so this they're so that for me to be able to say I do get it and even though that person might be all of those things, you're keeping yourself as a victim of that. And you have the choice and you can, you can choose how the rest goes and how that ending plays out without, you know, and not looking to them and saying they're the reason for all of your misery or, or what's happening and kind of like a tough love cheerleader approach, because at the end of the day, like each of us has that control. So those experiences, those bumps and bruises and challenges and emotional journey along the way that I've had um, has really put me in that position to, to say I walked the walk and I understand and I can sympathize and I can be compassionate to what everyone is going through. And then I can say, okay, now what, now that we got, now that we know that you you're in this situation, like now what, what's the next step and let's, let's get you there and let's give you that courage and faith and belief that you can, you can do the next thing. Do you feel that the struggles and journey that you went on, that you've been on have helped you become a better lawyer and coach for your clients? And if so, how? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because I, you know, I think that I could have really easily succumbed to the victim mentality. I could have easily said, poor me, or I could have easily stay, stayed in something. And, you know, I am really able to connect with other people who say that they're experiencing these things, but they haven't taken that leap. And I don't know if I think, you know, divorce is unique and it's hard and it's probably one of the feels like one of the most awful things you can go through. And if you haven't gone through that, I think maybe it's sometimes hard to identify with someone who's expressing all of the anxiety that goes along with it. And You know, one of the things that I have been speaking openly about is I have absolutely no regrets 
not in those marriages, not in those divorces, not anything in my life. But every April, I get this feeling that's like this pit in my stomach. And, and it took me a while to, feel, to recognize what it was. And I couldn't figure it out. And then I realized both of my divorces were filed in the month of April. Wow. So while like life was happening around us and the weather's warming up and the tulips are, are popping, like I was feeling a little bit of like something. And then yeah. I realized, oh, this triggered what I was experiencing those years back then. And huh. so, you know, it's, it, it's, there isn't any regret, but it's just recognizing that the healing process is a journey and things come and go and now I can say oh that's why I'm feeling that way okay like I'm allowed to and put it in its place and on on we go rather than kind of sitting in it so yeah absolutely that that journey has it it impacts how I practice it impacts how I connect and communicate with other people Um, it impacts you know really every bit of my life and, and in the work that I do. Well, I mean, you're, you're speaking from a place of experience because you've been through it too. So you have an idea. I mean, every situation is different, of course, but you also have an idea of what these, what your clients are going through in general. So now this surprised me. I read that you faced your fear of public speaking. (laughs) (laughs) How was that, that experience for you? I mean, How'd you overcome that? Being a lawyer, you have to get up and speak in front of people every time you're in court. So how the hell did that work? Brad, I didn't overcome it. I'm still terrified of it. Um, Really? Well, so, you know, it's funny. It's a love-hate relationship. So when I was in court, it was almost like, and I loved litigating. I really loved going to court and being on trial and but the part of that, like, I, it removed me from the situation. I was doing a job, and I'm the type of person who over-prepares to such a crazy extent that I go in there knowing all of the facts, the details, the numbers, like every little bit, every text message and dates. And so I was prepared, and I was doing a job. So I was removed from that public speaking situation, even though I was very much vocal and and up there doing it but it didn't it wasn't about me it was about the case it was about my client it was about telling a story it was about goals that we had set to get for the end result right and so i am like i am a super introvert and so being center stage is is really uncomfortable for me so in the courtroom i was center stage but it wasn't my words weren't about me. It was about my job that I was doing and about my client. So that's how I, I kind of tackle that. I still get the butterflies and the flutters and yeah. all of that. But when I speak in other venues, I am still terrified. It goes away though, because it's like equal parts fear and exhilaration and adrenaline. Yeah. And so by the end of it, I am just charged. I am like lit up. And so the thing that terrifies me is also the thing that excites me and I continue to push it and I continue to put myself in uncomfortable situations because I believe that that's where growth happens yeah and you know I never say no to an opportunity to speak even though I know like there's been some that have been like I say yes and I'm like oh crap like what what am I getting myself into but I do it anyway because every time it becomes a little bit more comfortable and Mm. I always make it about my message and never about me because I am actually like, I don't like to be the center of attention. And if I put my focus on what I'm trying to say and what I want people to take from it, 
and not about me, that it becomes a little bit easier. You know, I think it, you'd mentioned butterflies. I think that's, that's a good thing that you still get them because I think that that also keeps you grounded and doesn't, and you don't get too cocky when yeah. you're, when you're still nervous and whatnot, because I mean, I had a friend talk cause I still, before every shoot I do, I still get butterflies. I still get nervous. And a friend of mine said, you know what? That's a good thing that keeps you on your toes. That keeps you grounded. That keeps you from getting too comfortable and too cocky. Yeah. I don't like being, you know, like I don't like being comfortable. So I've like become so comfortable with being uncomfortable. So when I feel too comfortable in something, I'm like, all right, what, what can I do now? How can I <laughs> challenge myself? <laughs> I'm like, now I feel like it feels a little rote and I'm like, all right, now I need to shake things up a little bit. Yeah. Let's break out of the comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So as mentioned previously earlier on, you're also an author. Can you talk to us a bit about that and how many books you've written and where and when your love for writing began? Oh, I've been writing since I was a kid. I have, I have always written. I've won an award in sixth grade, a statewide award. And at that point I knew I wanted to write a book at some point. And I stopped writing as an adult until I got divorced. And on those weekends where I didn't have my son and I didn't know what I was going to do with my time is when I actually started writing again. So my, my first book is all about, um, starting and running a small law practice Okay. Um, and that got my, my feet wet. And actually a publisher had approached me and asked me if I was interested in writing it. So I said, yes, not knowing much about running a small practice at the time because I was still new. So that was the first one. Then I wrote a book called Divorce in Connecticut, which is self-explanatory. It's all about uh, the divorce process in my particular state. Right. And then I wrote a children's book with my son, all about oh, divorce, cool. called Percy's Imperfectly Perfect Family. So it's all about a penguin, Percy, and all of his struggles and concerns and anxieties about his parents who are divorcing. Um, so my son and I sat down and talked about what his concerns would yeah. be and what he saw his friends going through, and we put that together. So. He was essentially Percy the penguin. He was he was Percy the penguin. Yeah, he was a little I love bit it. I think that's great. Running. That's also great for bonding time for you and your son. Yeah, it was it was definitely fun. So I also have a mystery book that I have an agent for. We're trying to get published, and awesome. I have a nonfiction book proposal that is out wow. in the world as well. So, <laughs> yeah, <Look at> you. <laughs> now you're also the host of a podcast called Happy Even After with Ms. Renee Bauer. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about the podcast and what the inspiration behind starting your podcast was? Yeah, so it, it's all things divorce. Um, but I didn't want to focus on the negative of divorce. I wanted to focus on the positive. And, I, and it's filled with expert interviews and other people, men and women, who have stories of really the art of reinvention, of lifting themselves up. I have a lot of people who have nothing to do with divorce on there, but really have a compelling story of overcoming adversity. So it's just meant to be a place where there's positivity and hope and educational and it's been you know it was something that i decided to do at the last minute i'm not really knowing what it would involve and as you know brad it is super time intensive oh yes Um, but it really has become the thing that i love doing because i've connected with so many people and that's that's what it's about it's about connection with all the people and the stories and the inspiration Ah, yes and quite frankly i like being on the other side of the microphone and asking (laughs) (laughs) how long have you how long ago did you start the podcast up so it launched in july of last year so we are not quite a year yet 
approaching a year. Excellent. Yeah. Good for you. Renee, what is the most important thing you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it? Oh, I think that not being afraid of failure is the most important thing and expecting failure. So every new thing that I do, I kind of go in with this expectation of, okay, maybe it might not work. It's probably not going to work and that's okay. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, And if you go in with that attitude, then everything is just a journey and it's a learning opportunity rather than approaching things like, oh, I did this thing. It didn't work. I'm a failure. I'm not successful and getting kind of hung up in that and letting that sort of cripple you from doing that next thing. So I've definitely had moments where I've had things not work and I got caught up in my head for a second and you doubt yourself and then you have imposter syndrome and you allow that, that negative self-talk to almost debilitate you. And so I always am mindful now when I do something new to say, okay, I'm going to do this. I might do it poorly. I might, might trip up. It might not work and that's okay. I'm still going to do it. And then I'll do the next thing and the next thing. So it's just that journey is in, you know, that it's not the end result. It's the journey. And once you focus on that, then it becomes much more enjoyable because you're not focusing on the thing that has to, you know, in order for it to be successful, it has to be, has to be that you're getting to that end. And I use like writing as an example. So I have, you know, all of these, potential books out in the world trying to find publishers and I'm like okay well one of the books I spent five years writing and I'm like if it doesn't get picked up then it doesn't get picked up now I'm going to move on to the next thing but that gave me the opportunity to learn how to write a mystery novel and now the next one will be easier and that maybe that will be the book that gets picked up and that first thing had to happen or to teach me that so it's just looking at everything as an opportunity to grow. But see there again, it just proving that it all comes back to mindset. Mm, yep. A hundred percent. What does the word empowerment mean to you? Oh, believing in yourself, believing that you can do anything and be anything and that you have the power to make that decision. And you you retain that power. You're not giving it away to someone else. You're not allowing the power to be in whether you get the job or you get the book deal, but you're keeping that power yourself because you have the ability to create your success, your life, your happiness, your joy. That's what empowerment is. Okay. Well, what makes you feel inspired or like your best self? Oh, water. I love being near water. It's when I'm my most creative self. Mm -hmm. I can write a lot. I have written a lot. I finished books sitting by water. Being in nature is empowering and keeps me grounded. The thing that I probably need the most work on in terms of rest and building rest into my days, into my life. So that and other people. I love just connecting with people and I've had just this beautiful opportunity to connect with so many amazing men and women across the world. Um, And they inspire me looking at their missions and their passion for a project inspires me. Awesome. What would you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? Do it afraid. (laughs) I've had, I've I've actually heard that from a few different people from uh, someone I interviewed on a podcast recently. 
I've heard it from a law school teacher. I've heard it from other teachers throughout the years. Like you do it anyway. You stand up and give the talk. You do it afraid. You, you know, whatever it is, you start the business, you do it afraid. You, you walk away from the relationship that doesn't serve you. You do it afraid. Um, yeah. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I think that I have a really intense work ethic. (laughs) (laughs) They almost could be to a fault, but my brain never stops. So as soon as I wrap my head around something that I want to do or create, I'm moving on to the next thing. And my creativity has allowed me to dream and has allowed me to think outside the box. And I think that's how I approach every project, every law project, every, every project that every writing project, everything that I do, I'm always thinking of how can I make this creative and how can I think outside the box? And I'm always infusing a little bit of spirituality into everything and belief in the universe as well. And working with clients. And I think as a divorce lawyer, that's kind of a unique take on it because most lawyers are not talking that talk. For sure. 100%. Speaking of success, How do you define success? What does that word mean to you? Oh, it's not money. (laughs) It's not fame. It's being content. So being content with where you are and who's around you and being able to sit in stillness and be really happy with where you are right now. And so I always ask, my own clients that if nothing changed in your life, would you be happy five years from now if you were exactly where you were right now? And if your answer is yes, then, then that's success. Yeah. And if your answer is no, then okay, what is it that we can do to change that? Yeah. What was a turning point in your life and how did it affect you? I think that, you know, I would say that the turning point that I had was when I went on that podcast interview I talked about because I had lived such a a separate existence, my professional world and my personal world. And I was this buttoned up lawyer doing all of the things that I thought kept me professional. And once I opened that door to bringing the personal into my my existence and bring it into my personal, my professional world, everything changed my mission changed, my ability to show up and do things like this changed, the work I did changed, really everything about my life changed in that moment. And it was just from a friend asking me some simple questions about my own divorce. Being pushed outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. We're going to do a little rapid fire section here. So the next group of questions will just be one, two, three word answer type thing. Okay. What was your dream job as a child? Dolphin trainer. Sorry? (laughs) I wanted to train dolphins. Oh. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I was not expecting that. (laughs) How would you describe yourself in one word? Driven. Money or fame? Money. Early bird or night owl? Both. Depends on what I'm doing. (laughs) Right now, early bird. If you're writing your autobiography, what would the title be? She Who Wins. Love it. What's your favorite stress-reducing activity? Exercise. 
What's the one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Yeah, a book deal. <laughs> if you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? To be unapologetically authentic. Love that. What is one of your favorite entrepreneurial books? Oh my God, I have so many. Okay, um, give me three. Okay, give me three. <laughs> um, how she buys. Oh, why she buys. Okay. Was the title of that one? The book I'm reading now, from good to great, and you are a badass is one of my favorites. Jen Sincero, she's great. Yeah. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? That's such a deep one. Um, that's hard to answer in a rap- rapid fire. I'd bring in a compassion to everyone so that we could all understand everyone's stories and yeah. be a little bit more compassionate about how we hear them and how we judge people and not knowing what it's like in their shoes. Okay. What is one thing you've always wanted to do in life, but never have? I am itching to go on an African safari. Okay. I think that would be it. I, I tend to do everything that I want to do. Or train dolphins. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I have swam with them though. So I think I got, I got that itch out of me. You got in the water with them. That's that's, your, your part, the part, partly there. (laughs) Right. What's the first thing you think of when I say the word future? Hope. Okay. That concludes our rapid fire section. Renee, what's the most recent investment you've made in yourself? Oh, this is an easy one. So I just signed up with a business coach the past couple months ago, and it was a big investment. And she is awesome because she challenges me. She pushes me. And it's so much more than just a strategy business coach. It's a mindset business coach. It's a, you know, it's really combining all of those things. And it's nice to be held accountable. Yeah. An accountability partner. And there's that mindset thing again. Absolutely. (laughs) And it takes practice. Like no one is perfect at this. Oh yeah. 100%. I think that that work never stops. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's that's a lifelong journey. Absolutely. What is your personal motto? I have a magnet on my fridge that says, do one thing afraid every day. And I think it might be a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt or some version of that. So Mm -hmm. I like to live by that. Beautiful. If you could set up a billboard anywhere, where would you put it and what would it say? I would put it outside of every high school in this country and it would say be kind to each other. Such a simple concept, yet Mm -hmm. we humans have such a hard time grasping it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Adults too. Yeah, oh yeah. What is one of your biggest failures or teachable moments and what did you learn from it? Oh, geez. I've had so many failures. <laughs> you know, I, you hear, I, I'm, go, I'm going deep in the archives for this one. <laughs> I, think I got rejected from every law school I applied to except for one. And I, when I started applying, I'm like, I'm going to all of these great law schools. I had my roster of applications and I threw in like a last law school option. I graduated from Suffolk University Law School. And that was my last, like, let me just throw it in there just as an add-on. 
and I got rejected from every single one. And at one point I said, I'm not meant to go to law school. I'm not going because I don't want to go to that school. Yeah. Boy, boy, you know, I'm so glad my mother said, are you crazy? Like, what is, where does it matter where you go? Yeah. I had such an incredible education experience from Suffolk, but it was, I, I almost let rejection stop me in my tracks and that would have, that would have been too bad. Wow. So I have learned from that opportunity that rejection is just redirection because I think I ended up exactly where I was supposed to be. That's incredible. What a story. That's amazing. What a life lesson. If you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? I would ask, where do you get your work ethic from? And because I have, I think, a unique answer to this. So my my father is an entrepreneur. Yeah. And he had a really rocky road uh, throughout the course of his life with building businesses and some of them failing. And there was a period of my life when I was in middle school and high school that my parents cleaned office buildings and my mother cleaned houses during the day in order to make the ends meet and pay the bills. And my work ethics comes from that because on days off, she would bring me with her and I hated it. And my brother and I hated it. We hated having to do this and chip in, but it created such a work ethic to you dig in and you do what needs to be done in order to, to do what you have to do. And there's no job too small. And that's how I show up in my business. There is nothing I won't do. There isn't any job that's too small. Like I'll get on my hands and knees and do the grunt work yeah. as I do the other stuff too. So I credit them for that that work ethic that's an incredible life lesson right there for sure you can't learn that anywhere else i know (laughs) right how would you like to be remembered as someone who left you feeling better than when the conversation started i like to whenever i talk to anyone is to leave them feeling better than than the few minutes before we met and that could be someone working at the coffee shop or someone who I'm working with intimately one-on-one, but that concept that you're bringing something to everyone's life, even the smallest of things. Love it. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? My grandmother, who is no longer with us, but she she was a feisty, feisty lady. And she, she got divorced and did some things in her life that were definitely the not the norm. And she didn't care. She showed up and did what she wanted and lived this really full life, not worrying about what other people thought of her. And that feistiness, I think, lives a little bit inside of me. (laughs) If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Don't worry about what other people think. I think I spent too long as a child and as a teenager concerned about other people's opinions. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? Oh, of course, you're going to trip me up on the last question. (laughs) Save the best for last, right? I know (laughs) that there isn't any shame in wanting to be happy and wanting to be fulfilled and wanting to live a joyful life and that the sooner that you realize that you have the power to create that life, the sooner you can move towards it and step away from the judgment or worrying about what other people think. So live your life as if no one is watching. Beautiful. I love it. Renee, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and share 
your story and give us some insight into who you are and your journey. This has been such an incredibly inspirational conversation. I've learned a lot and there's a lot of life lessons in this conversation. That's for sure. A lot of talk about mindsets and it's just been so incredible and so inspirational. I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here and share your story. And I'm so happy and proud to have you now as part of the Empowerography community. So thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you, Brad. You definitely challenged me with some of some of your questions. So <laughs> thank you for shaking me shaking it up a little bit. My pleasure. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Renee Bauer. She is a divorce attorney based in Connecticut. Thank you so much, Renee. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.